As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 40. This is Writing Excuses. Question and answers about structure with special guest Pung Shepard. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Brandon. And I'm Howard. And we have our special guest with us, Pung Shepard. Hi, everybody. I'm Pung. I'm very excited to be here. Remind our listeners a little bit about who you are. You did a uh, wonderful masterclass with us about structure, and uh, we wanted to bring you back to do a Q&A. So 
Can you just remind folks a little bit about who you are? Sure. Uh, I am a novelist. I'm the author of The Book of M and most recently The Cartographers. And I'm very excited to be back because uh, I, I just love. So we did that whole masterclass about structure. And I uh, had said many times in many of the episodes that I'm such a structure nerd. And I went away and I thought about it. And I wondered, you know, why am I such a structure nerd? And I think that because I'm also a discovery writer, structure is kind of my outline in a way that uh, an outline is an outline for an outliner. And so I, th- I think I might, I depend on it the way that a plotter might depend on an outline. Yeah, yeah I loved the structure masterclass. And my, my only regret is that I came away from it a day later uh, with all kinds of epiphanies about uh, microstructures and uh, and ended up ended up deploying brand new techniques that I didn't even have names for through the current project, uh, my current uh, work in progress, as a result of uh, having a podcast conversation where we're all supposedly knowledgeable and stuff. And I just learned things and didn't say any of them into the microphone. And one of the things that uh, listeners who listen to that podcast might remember is me having a moment where I said, ooh, I think you just solved the next novel that I'm working on. And I am pleased to report uh, that the that is true <laughs> and that I did use the calendar structure. I am using the calendar structure that we talked about for the Martian contingency. Now, you might be wondering where these questions are coming from and how you can ask questions on a podcast. And the answer is that we are doing this podcast live in front of the uh, attendees of the Writing Excuses Workshop and Cruise. And so these are their questions. Dan, what's our first question? Our first question is very uh, basic, but uh, it's something that a lot of people have. This is a common one. Uh, This comes from Corinne Flynn. How can I avoid putting too few or too many plot threads into my story? How do I know when I have the right number of them? That's a good question. Um, I would advise putting them, I think, in priority order first because – You've got to have you got to have one overarching storyline that's going to carry you through, and then there's usually a pretty big B story, and then after that, there's not necessarily a lot of room. I mean, how many how many plot lines have you had in a? Well, it depends on it depends on the the story. The thing that I because you all know that I talk about the mice quotient incessantly. Um, but the thing that I say is that that every mice quotient like major thread can make a story, you know, roughly half again as long. Um, but not every plot thread is a major plot thread. So how do you handle it, Brandon? My uh, last Stormlight <laughs> book uh, first draft was four hundred or five hundred and twenty thousand words long. Uh, I have a lot of uh, plot threads going on <laughs> in uh, in one of those books. Um, but I would say. Early on, practice is just what got me there. And unfortunately, that's the answer to so many things. My first book that I tried writing when I was a brand new baby writer, um, I got like 200,000 words in and I'm like, that feels like an ending and then just had a fight. Um, (laughs) Didn't resolve very much at all. I'm like, and it's book one. I didn't know I was writing book one, but there it is. Um, Over time, the more I wrote, the more I came to understand 
what a plot thread requires from me to do it in a way that I find a satisfying uh, narrative. And that's why I can now, decades later, write 400 plus thousand word books with a lot of different plot threads because I know how much they each take. I just want to double check. Was that 400,000 words in addition to the five secret novels? So this is the Stormlight book I released before I launched into those. Okay, great. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> Thank you. I um, just, I just, just sounds, wanted to know where to... Sounds cooler. <laughs> each, of the, each of the secret novels were between 90 and 110,000. Okay. And uh, I'm sure it's kind of the same with, uh, with you folks that... Um, as you write, you get a feel for how long a story takes you. Yep. And so you're like, I know that this one's going to be around 100,000 words. And you just launch toward that, whether you have an outline or not. And you are consistently in that same range. Yeah. Uh, this is an experience thing. Yeah. If I'm losing track of the plot threads while I'm writing it, then structure notwithstanding, that's too many plot threads. Uh, and maybe I'll get better at it and be able to do more. But for my own part, it's what fits in my head and works for me. All right. I want to have a follow-up question because something Brandon just said uh, is right in line with another one of our uh, audience questions here. This one comes from Roy Radian. Uh, How do you spread the structure of a plot line over several books? How do you know when to split it uh, structurally in order to get the right payoffs? Now, Brandon, you said when you first started, you just kind of stopped when you were done. But how do you know when is the best place? How do, how do you do that now? Yeah. So I can tell uh, when an author has done this. These days, I don't know if you get, uh, you've had this experience, but it happens more often when the publisher's like, yeah, split this book. And then it's just, it's, it's mm-hmm. always unsatisfying. Um, and okay, I say always, and no, uh, uh, Mary Robinette's like, wait, I may have done it <laughs> once. Uh, um, but- For me, I am always looking at each book needs a satisfying ending, and each section of a book needs something satisfying. And so when I'm building a a novel, I'm asking, you know, when I'm building a series, I'm asking, what is the satisfying part of every installment? We've seen a lot of people try to launch in movies recently, big, long series where the first one wasn't satisfying. Um, and this is, I think, a huge misstep and a huge mistake and a huge mistake I made in that first book that I tried writing where I just kind of ended it. Um, so if you're, we're talking structure, knowing what your book is trying to do, knowing what's going to make a satisfying ending and that knowing that's your, your primary, uh, job, then you can start saying, all right, these sub threads I can raise hang a lantern on the fact that I'm not going to answer them yet. The characters are too inexperienced. And then that will be sort of the, uh, the passes, the balls I'm throwing myself to catch in a future novel. So the, the, the reason I raised my, my hand like, wait, was um, that I, I, Calculating Stars was originally supposed to be one book that we split into two. And the reason that I knew I needed to split it into two was because I was having to jump important emotional beats Right. in order to save them for the second book or second part of the, the, the story in ways that were going to be unsatisfying and, and frustrating. Yeah, but, I should define that better. When, it's, when it is poorly is when you turn in the book and the publisher splits it. Yes. Um, yeah. I've split books before as I've been working. I've been like, no, no, this is a trilogy and expanded them. That, that works just fine. It's yeah. when you turn them in and the publisher's like, nope, too long. Uh, here's the halfway point. 
now you've got two books. Yeah, because mm-hmm. when I split mine, as you say, I had to uh, unpack and expand. The, the most egregious example I can think of of the publisher, quote unquote, splitting a story partway through is the end of the second Hobbit movie, which is named after Smaug. The entire thing is about Smaug. The movie ends five minutes before they kill him, which happens in the third movie. It's, it's shockingly incompetent. Here's another question, uh, once again talking about subplots and how many plots you have. This is from Sarah Hipple. How do you ensure that uh, smaller plots or smaller POVs don't make the reader lose sight of the main plot or feel like the subplot is an unwanted diversion? Mm. That is an excellent question. Um, I would say one quick tip is character attention is something that often directs reader attention. And when the characters care about it, and particularly in books, we can show from their viewpoint how invested they are. And if you can take that character and have them spin it into the larger story in some way, uh, this helps a ton. Yeah, and they also have to be... I, I love writing multiple perspectives, and I often end up with far too many. So I do have this problem where I, I've got like 15 people and I need about four and I think it really is, as you go back, you can see when you've got too many people, some of them are repeating each other in some way. Like they're both looking at the same thing with the same mindset. And so, you know, you want, you only want that one mindset or from that one perspective or only that one person has that knowledge. And so that has helped me clean it up to make sure there's no repetition and that everyone ha- has a reason for being there. I I layer it and I think about it in terms of the impulse purchase on a shopping trip. The shopping trip is the A plot and the impulse purchase is the C, D, E, whatever plot. But because it is attached to the shopping trip, we haven't lost sight of things. Let's take another question. All right. So this one comes from Deidre. What are some strategies or lines of questioning we can use to better align the character goals, the villain goals, and the overall problem of the story? Well, you know my favorite thing about the Mike's question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that it it helps you define kind of the the, the process, the... the, um, the types of conflicts that they're doing. And so one of the things about uh, a character goal and the villain goal is that they that these goals come into conflict. The character has the simplest possible goal. The villain has the simplest possible goal. And then their actions mess each other up. Uh, one of the ways I really like to think about character goals is, um, is what makes it unique, and it's usually the why. And so... It, a character will a character and a villain they both want something and they both got a cost to not achieving what they want but it's always the the reasoning behind it like the the misbelief they've got about the world or about themselves that is preventing them from easily getting the want and coming into conflict with their opposing party yeah and on those lines a lot of times um what the character is doing is revising their own goals as they go through the plot mature uh, see what's going on. And in this case, showing the character giving up the want for the need, uh, which is kind of a classic story archetype, um, you are very easily able to spiral that, you know, into the need is the greater need, the, the narrative's need. 
um, the world's need and the character then giving up the want uh, becomes a, a, a great tie-in to that uh, when you, you do it right. And it's not, that one isn't that hard if you're looking at the scope and expanding the scope of your, your story through the middle. So I want to talk a little bit more about what Howard said of making sure that the different, uh, you know, plots A, B, C, the, the impulse buys are connected to that central thread. Uh, and because of the pop cultural medium we exist in right now, superhero movies are the examples that are leaping to mind. So, for example, Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, brought in so many villains and none of them had anything to do with each other. They were people who were causing problems. They each had their own plans, but they were not related to each other in any meaningful way. The story of Electro did not really connect to the story of Green Goblin, etc., etc. Compare that to The Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan one, where we have multiple villains, uh, the two main ones being Two-Face and Joker. And in that case, the... They, the, the writers used Two-Face specifically as a linking element between the other stories. Mm-hmm. So the goal of Batman was to get Harvey Dent on his side. And the goal of Joker was to ruin Harvey Dent and turn him into a monster. And so they did the same thing. They had multiple villains in the story, but they were very deeply connected because the goals were so close. That's a great example. Hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, We are going to pause for the book of the week. We are running long for this episode because we've got so so many great questions. Um, The book of the week this week is actually my book. Um, (laughs) Uh, It's called The Spare Man, and it's basically The Thin Man in Space. So if you have not seen The Thin Man movies, they're amazing. But this is a happily married couple, their small dog, solving murder mystery on an interplanetary cruise ship, which is definitely not at all inspired by the boat that I'm on right now. Um, There's a a small dog, which lives because I know the rules, banter, cocktail recipes, including zero-proof cocktail recipes, and uh, and did I mention murder? But not of a dog. But not of a dog. Not of the dog. Not of a dog. And a conference room with really uncomfortable chairs. Really (laughs) uncomfortable chairs. Uh, So that's The Spare Man, and uh, available from fine bookstores everywhere. All right. This question is uh, from Dorinda. This is much more um, of kind of a wide-angle question. Besides studying successful story structures for guidance, are there clear do's and don'ts when it comes to story structure? And I guess the follow-up, what are they? Two answers. Answer number one, no. Answer number two, Answer number two, what works for you and keeps you writing is the right answer. Yeah. um, I mean, that's the very, it's the truth, right? Um, You can find an exception to every rule except that rule, Um, (laughs) right? Uh, Now, I can give some pitfalls for me personally, right? Like and say, hey, here's things that I've run into that my writing style um, you know, uh, when I, I find that I've done something wrong and with me, that is usually comes down to me knowing what needs to happen in the outline. So the characters know what needs to happen in the outline. So the characters do what's in the outline and that's not properly motivated and or signposted for the reader. And a lot of times what I'm fixing after beta reads is things like this. Um, and I've kind of noticed that that's a thing that sometimes I do. It's very common for outline writers, right? Uh, you've got, you know, there, there's the joke, um, uh, a lot of, uh, you see this in, uh, in criticism of movies where characters do things and the joke is, oh, they had the script, so they knew what they're supposed to do. Uh, the characters know what they're supposed to do. They have the outline that I want to avoid. Um, and I watch out for it. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Yeah. These days, mm-hmm. how often do you ever get surprised and then deviate from the outline that you've written? Does it um, never happen anymore? So surprise never happened to me. Um, uh, the way that my just psychology works, I'm always searching for the better answer. The outline is a guide to try to get there. That's what past Brandon, the best that past Brandon could do without the experience of having written the book. As I'm writing the book, I'm always saying what can be better. 
Uh, I'm working on uh, the next Stormlight book right now. And I hit a thing where I'm like, this just isn't good enough, right? Mm. It just isn't good enough. And so I dig back into it and I dig deeper and I'm like, let's, let's try something else. Um, that happens a ton. It's not that I get surprised. It's more that I get disappointed. I'm like, no, this is, I need more. Uh, and then I dig. Once in a while, I'm like, oh, this is a better connection. But I don't even see it as a surprise. I see it as current Brandon can take what past Brandon did, but has more experience now, uh, is older and wiser by a few <laughs> weeks, and can now um, change that up and go forward with something new that is going to work better. Uh, I, I do have an example. This was a question for Brandon. I'm going to answer it. Uh, I do have an example of something that surprised me. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was a book, uh, a horror novel that I wrote a couple years ago, which none of you have read because of this thing I'm about to tell you. Um, <clears throat> I realized at some point in chapter four, five, six, whatever it was, uh, that it would be a much stronger story if abruptly the monster ate the love interest. <laughs> and on the one hand, I was right. It was way better. It was much more interesting to turn that obvious love interest into a red herring and then he gets eaten and then we move on. The problem that I had not properly dealt with at the time was, well, what do I do about my ending now? Because the love interest was part of the thread that was gonna lead there and I didn't take the time to properly recalibrate the trajectory of the story to account for his absence which left a very unsatisfying ending, Ugh. even though he wasn't in 80% of the book. I got, I got an answer for you after the podcast. It might be too spoilery. Well, I'm excited. I've seen this happen really well, <laughs> and so I want I wanna okay. to say, ooh, have you thought of this? Mm -hmm. All right, I have one more question, okay? Uh, and, and this one was, was written to me about a role-playing game that I ran earlier on the cruise, but I think we can, we can apply it more widely. Uh, it says, uh, Dan Wells, after playing in one of your homebrew games, I was intrigued on how you prep or color code the different pieces of the game. Uh, this is something that I do when I run uh, games in person is in order to streamline certain things, I take a lot of the rules of games and a lot of the elements of character and I put them onto cards so I can just pass them out and then that makes decision making much easier and we get into the story much more quickly. Uh, but if we can put that into a broader question, um, what methods of assembling structure do you use? Uh, I've seen people on this cruise arranging post-it notes in different orders. Uh, Mary Robinette, I know you do three by five cards that you can shuffle physically. Um, different <laughs> people use different, different methods of organizing the tools they have so that they can see the story. So I, I am going to mention, because I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast before, with the three by five cards and the spare man, I laid them out based on uh, plot thread elements that I needed to include. I was rejiggering re because I, I had made a change about who the villain was going to be. And, um, and then my cats ran across the note cards. <laughs> And, um, and I looked at it and was like, that's actually a better sequence. <laughs> <laughs> so technically part of this book is plotted by Cat, which I highly recommend as a plotting method. See, I was going to say the opposite because I start, I'm very visual and I like 
to, to be able to see the plot visually. And I started with note cards, and I also have a cat, but it didn't go that way. <laughs> <laughs> it did not. Uh, so now I use Scrivener, and uh, I think it's it feels to me like the same thing because you can drag note cards around on the screen, and my cat can't type. So it like it really it really works for me. Yet. Yet. Can't type well. Yet. Oh, I, I, I want to, yeah. My cat walked across my laptop when I was working on the Wheel of Time and I kept the letter E. So my cat typed one letter in the Wheel of Time. <laughs> when you're reading those books, you can know that it was partially cat produced. That's um, so what you're learning here, dear listeners, is that if you want to be successful, you, you do need a cat. cat. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Preferably multiples who are trained as well as your cats. Very yes. often. Um, uh, I use a word document. <laughs> Even still. <laughs> just a just a single document that is my outline that I um, that I have built using my tools for outlining. And uh, no note cards, uh, no fancy Scriveners, even though I've had a lot of people uh, tell me that I should move to Scrivener. Uh, and I believe them. I'm just, you know, old and stubborn. Yeah. yeah everybody's looking at me like I have a solution here. Um, I love the cat thing because uh, that's, how, that's how natural selection and evolution work, is the random introduction of mutations. And if it's a mutation that is successful, then we keep it. So go team random cat. Yeah. Well, as Elsie would say, we are all done. So if I can get uh, a homework assignment. Yes. Uh, Your homework for today is to try writing a piece of fiction outside your usual length. So if you're a novelist, try to write a microfiction story. If you're a short story writer, try to write a chapter or two of a novel, something that doesn't, you know, end. It's long. Uh, and see how the size of the idea and the length of the story influences how you end up structuring that ex- exercise. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. And thank you uh, for to our lovely live audience for your questions. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.